Thank you. Guys, if you want to come and sit down, I've got some things for you to be doing, but that's not an excuse for you lot to switch off. Okay, so I'm expecting everybody this morning, a bit of audience participation. Um, so, have you ever heard a conversation that goes something like this? Who was meant to be doing that? Nobody. Didn't anybody find somebody? No, everybody was too busy. Well, that was a conversation that I had with Steve back at Christmas. And it was about the PA rotor, where there wasn't anybody on words that particular week. And that's a plea. If anybody wants to get involved with AV team, please speak to Pete at the back at the end of the service. But I'm going to ask the question about four characters this morning. Are you a nobody, a somebody, an anybody, or an everybody? Two months later, this is what comes of that question. I was looking for a mannequin. I've been asking around if people had a dressmaker's mannequin or a suit hanger that looked the shape of a, a person, and I, I wasn't able to find one. So I've employed Nathan. For those of you that don't know, Nathan's my eldest son. And when I initially wrote this down, I typed up my notes. I was looking for a dummy, and then I thought, no, I can't say that. <laughs> because I need his help, I need a mannequin. So model. <laughs> now, in the Old Testament, Nathan was a prophet. And he had a very important job. And he affected the life of David in an incredible way. Well, this morning, son, you've got a really important job, but I'm hoping that between us we affect more than just Dave's life. We're going on a whistle-stop tour of one of my favourite Bible characters, and that's the life of David. I look at the life of David and I can see so much of myself and who I am and who I've been in the past through different parts of David's life. So we're going to just have a whistle-stop tour and just see where we go. We're going to come back to the theme of joy. I'm not avoiding the theme of joy, but I am avoiding Philippians this morning, so we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. When we look at the life of David, there are many, many different elements of the story where we can see our four personalities, nobody, anybody, somebody, and everybody. I'm going to dress Nathan up. Well, actually, I'm not. Some of you are. Um, <laughs> with different things that represent the different characteristics of his personality. And what I'd really like is for anybody, but particularly the younger members of the audience or young in heart, the perks of being a primary school teacher is you can put your hand on 30 whiteboards like that, and you can make sure they're back in the classroom for Monday morning. So um, the idea of the whiteboards this morning is as I'm telling the story of David, I'd like you to draw the different pictures of the different parts of the story. But do me a favor, don't rub any of it out. It doesn't matter how messy this board gets this morning, it doesn't matter how much gets crammed onto it, don't rub it out. Okay, so I'm keeping the rubbers, but come and grab yourselves a whiteboard and a pen. I'm hoping there's enough. Okay. The first character I want us to look at is the character of nobody. 
meet David. Can anybody tell me what his job is? Thank you. Shepherd. Now, I don't know what you know about shepherds in Bible times, but they were the lowest of the low. They were the people that had no recognition in their society. They were a nobody. And so I asked Nathan to dress in black. The plan had been to have a black... Sorry? When do I not? When do you not? I know. But black fabric, and he would have just blended in to the fabric behind him. He blended to society. David blended in with society around him because he lived a basic and a simple life. His main job each day was to take care of his sheep. Prop number one. Dressing up cupboards in schools come in handy as well sometimes. When he was working there, he learned the skills that he would need for later in life of taking care of things and taking part in different physical activities. He had to develop the skill and the strength to defeat the bears and the lions. But he also honed his musical skills because this is where he was with just him and his God. For those of you that don't know me, you'll get to know a little bit about me through what I'm sharing this morning, and I don't apologize for that. But one of my favorite scriptures, um, in fact, two of my favorite scriptures have both been written by David, and we're going to look at both of them this morning. And the first is Psalm 23. I'm sure it's familiar to many, but I'm going to read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Last year, it was a year for me of physical difficulty, and I had a lot going on physically where I ended up having to have an operation. And I really struggled with the fact that God is my healer, and yet he wasn't healing me. And I felt God gave me this verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I am very busy, active. I'm a full-time teacher, as you've gathered. I'm involved in the church. I've got two kids that are constantly on the go. And I... Thank you. That's the other one trying to be helpful. Um, But I felt God give me this of he makes me lie down because as part of the operation, as part of the skill of the doctors that he'd put in the way and given me, it was a way of me having to stop. And it meant my operation was booked for 7 o'clock on a Monday morning. It meant that I had to go to the hospital at 7 o'clock Monday morning, stop, and couldn't do anything for two whole weeks. There is no way I would have done that if God hadn't made the way possible. And I looked for scripture thinking, but God, you're my healer. Yes, but I make you lie down. And the irony was the room that I was in in the hospital was completely green. And I sat in the bed on that Monday morning and realized that that was the green pasture that God had put me in for that time to experience his healing and experience his hand. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. This is David's worship. 
that he wrote whilst it was on the hills outside the city taking care of sheep. He had an image of what God was in the same way that he was a shepherd to his sheep, God is to him. But he did all of this alone, without the scrutiny of anybody else watching him or judging him. He was a nobody just getting on doing what he did. To the best of his ability, just him and his God. When Samuel, directed by God to choose the next king of Israel, David wasn't even there with his family. He was looking after the sheep on the hill. It was only when David, uh, Jesse was probed about having any more sons that he offered David as a possibility. Now, David's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart, which is quite something if you think that those around him wouldn't have thought anything of him being on the hill with the sheep, out in the cold, day and night. Elsewhere, we're told that God looks at the out, uh, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what's on the heart. Some of us live in a way that puts us in this category. We live behind the scenes, getting on with just what we're doing. The encouragement is for us. We may not see, others may not see what we do, but God does. This is our training ground. He uses this time when we're in the background doing other things for what he has for us to do. I had a bit of a, a surprise yesterday. Claire, Riazra and myself were at a ladies' conference down in Seven Oaks. And Claire had sent me the information through for the conference. And one of the speakers um, was a woman called Andrea Trevena. Now, this is a name that stuck with me because I trained with an Andrea Trevena 30 years ago. I know I don't look old enough, but I am. <laughs> and... It was, um, she was in my uh, group as we, as we were going through training to be teachers together, and we lived, our halls of residence were next to one another, we'd often walk to lectures together because we were doing the same things, we'd walk back, we'd have conversations, and I then have this flash from the past yesterday when she is one of the speakers for one of the seminars at this conference yesterday, and I'm, I walk in, it was a bit bizarre seeing somebody I'd not seen for 30 years, and I thought, well, she won't recognise you, Michaela. So go and ask her if it is her. So I plucked up the courage and I, I went over and I said, can I just say, are you Andrea? She went, yes. I said, I think we were at university together. She said, what's your name? I said, Michaela. She went, oh, my goodness, it is you. And we stood and we had this conversation of about five minutes where she retells this story that she remembered me when we would walk back from lectures together. And she'd said, you were involved with the Christian Union, weren't you? I said, yeah. Thinking, not knowing what she's going to remember from my first year at university at this point, thinking, maybe I shouldn't have said anything. But she said, yeah, she said, you were always a challenge to me. Was I? Why? She said, because I remember having this conversation with you the one day, and it was about nothing but you you were at peace with who you were. You knew who you were, you were at peace with who you were, and that challenged me because I wasn't. I was on the run from God, and I didn't want anything to do with church or God. And there you were, like a sore thumb, just kept coming back at me, just showing me your peace. 
and it really rubbed my face in the fact that you had peace and I didn't. And I carried this with me for years. And one time I was walking through um, Wimbledon and on a billboard outside a church in Wimbledon was the sign, no Jesus, no peace. And this is after we'd left university. And God brought me back to those conversations we had in our first year at university. And I wondered what had happened to you. I said, well, I'm still here bugging people, you know. (laughs) But it really challenged me because actually I can't remember anything I said during those conversations. And I can't even think that they would have been overtly Christian. I was doing what I did, walking to and from a lecture with a friend, just talking. And yet, 30 years later, this woman is remembering those conversations that we had. You may be going about your day-to-day business, having conversations with people you know nothing about. But those conversations can have an effect. In that situation, I was a nobody. I didn't know what I was doing. Carry on. But God had used that nobody part of me to affect somebody else's life. So the second person that we see in David is when he comes to fight Goliath. He's been chosen to be the future king, and there were many, many years before David actually became the king. In the meantime, he was sent to fight Israelites' biggest enemy in every way. He was the biggest. In the story, we're told in a nutshell that he takes his brother's lunch down to the battlefield, and he sees that the army are waiting for him. And they're listening to the taunts of the enemy. How many times have you been in a situation where you can hear the taunts of your enemy? You're not going to attempt that, are you? Do you really think that's a good idea? Do you really think you can make a difference? All three of those questions are taunts from our enemy to stop us doing what God has called us to do. At this point, David recognised that it was whilst he'd been in the background, nobody important to anybody specific, he'd been training for such a time as this. Saul needed a somebody to do the job. And David was the only person to do the job. David became a somebody important to not just the king, but to the whole of the national security. David took what he knew, his sling and stones, and he used them to defeat Goliath. So, prop number two. Where is it? Here we go. I've got my sling Yes, I do. I've done my first aid training. Just put your arm up there. See? What? It's the wrong sling. What do you mean it's the wrong sling? That's a sling? (laughs) So often, we take the broken parts, we take the damaged parts and the lies that we've heard 
and we take those things into battle. Like we're damaged. Like we're injured. And we agree with the taunts of the enemy. You're right, I'm nobody, I can't do that. Do you know what? Yeah, you're right. I don't know why I'm bothering. That's not what God's talking about when he says, take what I've given you to do the job I've given you. So good news is you can take that sling off. Yeah, you can. Just, there you go. Is that the kind of sling you want? Now, I'm told that these are a public weapon. So I'm going to hold this on. What I haven't, what I'm not going to give him are five stones. Okay. (laughs) Stop. There are lots of different situations in life where we may be the only one to do the job. We have what we have by our training. I'm not talking about training within a job situation, I'm talking about life's training. That job may be to be a parent. It may be to fulfill a role at school or at work. Maybe to be a friend to somebody that needs that support. In situations, some situations, you are the somebody for the job. Take the training you have, the skills that you have, the tools that you have, and live the life that you've been called to. In the story of Esther, we hear that she was told that she was born for such a time as this. Well, that verse is true of Esther, it's right for David, and it's right for each one of us today. We need to stand up and be somebody in the situation we find ourselves in, as we may be the only somebody, as in David's case, and fighting Goliath, to stand and defeat the enemy. I found this quote and it made me smile, so I thought I'd share it. I always wondered why somebody doesn't do something about that. Then I realized I was somebody. If you see situations that need prayer, that need a friend, that need help, that need something done, ask yourself, why can you not be the somebody fulfilling that role? Question to ask ourselves is, which of the lies from the enemy... Which of the enemy's taunts stop us from being somebody effective in our friendships and in our situations? If David had listened to Goliath, if he'd actually taken notice of the words that Goliath was speaking out, he wouldn't have bothered picking up five little stones. It was at this point that life changed for David. He'd now got the recognition of the king. He developed a friendship with the king's son, Jonathan. And because of this friendship, the king becomes jealous and chases after David, forcing him to go into hiding. Eventually, he becomes king and everything there is Everything about David became a, wow, I'm here. I've arrived. I'm king. Everybody recognized him. Everybody knew who he was. And I was thinking about props for this. And this to me said, wow, I'm here. (laughs) 
but it didn't really say King David. Well, not how I understand King David to be. So it does suit Nathan, but I'm not going to. I won't embarrass you like that, son. So we've got this instead. Okay, we know Joseph had a multicolored coat from his father. Well, imagine David dressing to impress. He's now the king. Smile. <laughs> the good news is a king not only has a crown, but he has a cloak. So you can cover that up with that. <laughs> this is when the problem started for David because he started to think that he was more important than everybody around him. He put more importance on who he was than the role and the job that God had given him to do. He was still the man that was after God's own heart. He was still that worshipper and that shepherd that had been on the hill. But his own opinion of himself got to be so out of proportion that actually things went wrong for him. I'm not going to go into too much detail in the story for obvious reasons this morning. But for those of you that don't know the story, David had an inappropriate relationship with Bathsheba. He lured her husband to come to her and then sent him away to war so he could be killed. David acted in a disgraceful way to cover the tracks of his own sin. When we put more importance on our status and actions than we should, then we get ourselves into trouble. When I was reading through the story of David, I came across one of the saddest verses I think I have ever read. 2 Samuel 11:27 says this, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I know there are things that I have done in my life that have displeased the Lord. Do we feel that situations we're in would not be as important if I wasn't there? When we started the church plant 14 years ago, kids' work was really important to us as a church that was starting off. We felt that we needed to provide for our kids where others concentrated on adults, we thought, no, we've got to get our kids' work right. I'd been doing kids' work for 14 years, and it was what came natural to me. It was an area of church that I felt comfortable in and I could serve in quite happily. I loved doing it. And then two years ago, I felt God asking me to step down from kids' work to concentrate on other areas, like preaching. And I really struggled with this for ages, as I knew it was something I was good at and I could do easily. Eventually, I remember having a humbling conversation with God when I remember saying to him, and I am ashamed to say this now that this thought went through my head, but the conversation went something like, well, if I don't do it, who will? Arrogant? Yes. His reply brought me to my knees. The person I've chosen for the job cannot do the job whilst you're in the way. Ouch. 
that hurt. That hurt my pride. But it needed to be hurt. It needed something sharp to move me. Yes, I could do it. Was I the person God wanted in the role? No. Sometimes we have to realize that when we can do things, we may not be the right person for the job still, just because you can do it. It may be that someone else needs to do a job or a role to train to do another area of ministry. I'd sent Steve an outline, or I'd spoken to Steve about an outline for this talk, and he sent me this tweet that he'd seen. Everybody is called to something, but nobody is called to everything. It's about finding the role that God has got for us. Other things that might kind of cross our mind with this is, well, that team wouldn't be as good if I didn't play for them. Or that friendship group wouldn't be quite as cool if I weren't part of it. Last week, Steve spoke on the importance of unity and humility in Christ. Humility is key to understanding the attitude of Christ. And if we're to mirror him, pride cannot get in the way of repentance. When we think we're in everybody in a situation, then we need to take a step back and reflect on our motivation. David found his way back to God when the prophet Nathan challenged him about his behavior. The second of David's things that he wrote that I have come back to time and again, and it's usually when I've failed, when I've said the wrong thing, I've done the wrong thing, I've thought the wrong thing, is written in Psalm 51. And I just want to unpack this a little bit. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. That's sin. Wash away all my iniquity. All those things I've done wrong, Lord, wash them away. Cleanse me from my sin. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me the wisdom in that secret place. When David spent hours being a nobody on the hills as a shepherd, this is where he learned the wisdom in the secret places of his heart. We find ourselves back in the training ground. Yesterday, we were, as I said, at this women's conference, and the keynote speaker was a children's presenter. And she had us captivated. She was great. I really loved what she said. And a lot of what she'd said was not new, but she said it in a way that was fresh. She was talking about gifts and skills and talents. And she said that the fruits of the Spirit should be, to us, our characteristics. How people recognize us because of the fruit of His Spirit in us. And the gifts... The skills, the talents we have are the job that we do. And so often we recognize somebody as a preacher or as an apostle or as a teacher or somebody that's hospitable. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's about getting the fact that that's what they do, not who they are. Who they are are the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control 
of the fruits of the Spirit. And that's how we should be recognizing in ourselves and how we should be recognizing each other. That person, they're gentle. That person, they're patient. That person, they're peace. Rather than the role that we do. When we've learned our skill, David had a skill of being a worshipper. That's where this psalm comes from. When he realized and recognized his need for repentance, he came back to worship. He said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. At that point, he came to a place of peace. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. David was taken to a place of humility with Nathan when he was confronted by his sin. He confessed and faced it. There was only one way forward. Sometimes we can feel crushed, but God uses these times to bring the joy and repair and the freedom. So if you've got a whiteboard, can you hold it up for everybody to see? Let's see what handy artwork has been going on this morning. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Just let's hold it up. Now, <coughs> these are great. I'm loving what I'm seeing because we've got all the different elements and aspects of David's life here. Some good, some not quite so good. That's acts, not drawings. All of the drawings are fab. Okay? But what God does with us, and this is where I need a brave... Ethan, brave volunteer. Yeah, I know. And I know you won't mind. No, you need your whiteboard. God, bring a whiteboard. Okay? Because this is what God does to our sin. All those things we've done that aren't particularly we're proud of, all those words we've spoken that may have hurt somebody, God takes that blood that we've just been celebrating and the bread through the, um, the communion. Thank you. And he says, through what my son did on the cross, through what Jesus went through on the cross, I've wiped out all of that sin. All. All. For the illustration, all. Because our lives then, as if we have not sinned. It's gone. It's forgotten. He says, as far as the east is from the west, I'll remove your sins from you. He takes it and we can't see it anymore. We can't keep going back to him saying, oh Lord, you remember when I did that? And he'll go, no, I've forgotten it because it's gone. Yeah, but you know, when I did it, I, you know, I, I came, but I don't quite feel clean. I don't quite feel forgiven from that. Well, actually, I've forgiven you. When we ask for forgiveness from things that we've done wrong, God doesn't hold on to them for the next time we want to remember them. He says, it's gone, it's white, it's clean. And David knew this, thank you. David knew this because he said, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation 
and grant a willing spirit in me. Guys, if you want to this morning, I want you to come and take a board rubber and rub all those things off. But as you do it, you need to do this as well. Stop and think about wrong things that we may have done this week that we need to say sorry to God for. Just come and use it as a time of reflection of, God, do you know what? I've done this, I've said this, and I'm sorry. And as you wipe them off the board, accept God's forgiveness for those things that you've done wrong. And if you haven't done a picture, and you're sitting there going, but I've done wrong things this week, it's not just the kids, and those things you've been talking about, those selfish ambitions, that proud attitude, that act that I'm not proud of this week, bring it to him. This was David's heart response in worship. And so, to my son's joy, David had a, a harp, but I'll give you your guitar so you can worship him. Because that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to come back and worship him. David realised the best time was when he found God's forgiveness. Once he'd known God's forgiveness, he came back with that heart of worship to worship him. The best news for this part of David's story is the joy, the forgiveness, the restoration that's available to anybody that asks for it. There is not a single person in this room or outside of this room that has done too much to be forgiven by God, that's done too much to be outside of God's plan of salvation. Nobody has done too much for God to save them. Somebody in the form of Jesus loved us enough to die. That whilst we were still sinners and far from God, he restored our relationship to our Heavenly Father. We can know complete restoration back to God through what Jesus did on the cross. Everybody, put your hand up in here if you are an everybody this morning. Everybody can experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Anybody can worship as David worshipped. Now, it says that David worshipped with his whole heart. He worshipped exuberantly before the Lord. Now, I am not interpreting that story that you have to turn up next Sunday in just your undies to worship God. But what I am saying is that we come with a whole heart full of worship for what God has done for us. We're not just one of those characters, but as we dress Nathan up in the different layers, we have different layers too. So just to finish, if we feel that we're a nobody blending into the background, we're not. God has chosen us 
and this is your training ground. A sergeant major does not send his troops out to battle before taking them through training to prepare them for battle. God is the same. He develops characteristics in us that one day we might need in battle. Don't despise those times. We can know through joy, pure joy through them. Sometimes being a somebody to a member of the family or to a friend can be difficult because of what they are going through. Pray for strength and patience and wisdom and peace as you support them. We find ourselves in life at times where our perspective of our own importance might be warped or wrong. Everybody can pray for forgiveness and ask God for the right perspective on those situations. And any one of us can pray for a fresh outpouring of God's spirit to release a heart of worship. I came across this song again recently, and I just want us to read the the chorus. I'm going to read the verse, and then if you'd like to stand, I'd like us to read the chorus together as a prayer in response to this. The song is an old Graham Kendrick song like this. All I once held dear, built my life upon. All this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I've counted loss. Spent and worthless now compared to this. Would you like to stand and we'll read this together? Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing All my all, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Father, thank you that in you we are all a somebody because Jesus loves everybody. That anybody can come to know you and worship you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen.